Wow, tyranny, have we got some <laughs> all over the planet, the banksters. If you caught our show last night, with uh, first with Doc Waterman about the fallen angels from Mount Hermon, and then the uh, Jewish banksters that are fraudulently creating mortgages on properties, evicting the rightful owners and uh, reselling the mortgage. <laughs> Uh, they, they use mortgages as, uh, how should I put it, um, chips, poker chips, to uh, when they kick somebody out. Uh, one of the stories we heard last night was uh, people, a, a married couple, had four payments left to, for, to completely pay off their property. And they missed, uh, they both got sick and started missing their payments and they were foreclosed after with only four payments left to go. And then uh, they fraudulently, they tear up, they, they destroy the original mortgage papers. And then they, uh, they scan it so that they have a internet, or I should say an electronic copy and they uh, they can resell <laughs> this this mortgage uh, as as often as they want to. So it's like mortgage inflation. It's like inflating paper money. And uh, it, and it probably I did a story a couple of years ago about Herman Cain and his son who were murdered because they were teaching people how to fight back against the mortgage companies. This is a serious business, folks. Uh, this is Rothschild fallen angel stuff. The Luciferians in shoe leather, otherwise known as Jews. So good morning. <laughs> a right fine day to you all. Right in uh, what uh, should be a, a peaceful and paradisical planet, namely planet Earth, but which has become hell thanks to the presence of Juno-Who. So today we're going to be talking about the Enmity Part 2. And I put uh, the link to... The uh, Enmity Between the Two Bloodlines article at Anglo-SaxonIsrael.com. And we're talking about the evil seed. The evil seed, which of course is the Jews, descended from the bloodline of Cain. And a vast majority of non-identity Christians... They're talking about Judeo-Christians, Catholics, you, you name it, the, the non-identity version of Christianity. Very, very few want to take the Bible seriously when it talks about these fallen angels, about Nachash being a fallen angel and the fallen angels of Genesis chapter 6. And, and of course, the book of Jasher and book of Enoch, which go into great detail about these fallen ones. Of course, uh, one, and there's the secularites, secularists don't want to even talk about this subject because it, you know, they have this materialistic theory called evolutionism, which proposes that you know, somehow life emerged by accident. And I've been posting articles and videos on Eurofolk Radio about how impossible this is because the even the simplest protein molecule is uh, so complex that the odds against any a sing, the simplest protein molecule forming by chance is zero. But nevertheless, it is this despiritualization of life. The uh, 
We shall unleash the nihilists, it says in the protocols. And that's what has happened. The entire planet has turned, uh, if it hasn't already been totally materialistic, and most cultures are materialistic in spite of the fact that they practice some form of religion, they're still very materialistic. And only real Christianity has the antidote for all of this materialism and even spiritual materialism. Where even Christians, Judeo-Christians, they, they go to church so they can ask God to give them more stuff, right? <laughs> give me stuff, give me stuff. You know, oh Lord, won't you buy me a Mercedes Benz? So this is the kind of religion that we have today, prophesied by Paul, that uh, the world would be you know, so degenerate in these last days that the, the only solution would be to destroy it all and start over again with the kingdom. Now, it's interesting that the communists teach the same thing. They, they say that this world, the world order of Christianity, of course, has to be destroyed so that their paradise can come about. So they have to destroy everything, especially the white race, because as long as there's one white person left on the face of the earth who is capable of analyzing what the Jews have done to us and fight back, the Jews will live in fear. So they're ceaselessly attacking the white race by spiritual means, spiritual materialism, false religion, mortgages, right? Mortgages, paper money, Hollywood, war, incessant war, etc., etc. This is what we're having to deal with in these last days. So it's going to be really hard for many of us to keep our sanity as things get worse and worse. And the, the most frequent question I get by email and when I talk to people is, how much longer, <laughs> how much worse can it get? How much worse can it get? You know, I imagine it might be when restaurants start serving uh, aborted fetuses as a main menu dish. How much, you know, they already do that in China. <laughs> you can, they, they have uh, aborted fetuses on the menu in China. And, of course, uh, cannibalism is still reigning in southern, well, all of Africa, black Africa. They haven't given up on cannibalism yet, and they never will, because it's it, the only way they give up on cannibalism is under white rule. So... Uh, that, that's the nature of the world. It's the genetic nature of the world. And nothing uh, that any liberal or communist or progressive can do or evolutionist can do will change it because they can't change the DNA of those species. They simply can't. They can the leopard change its spots? The Bible asks rhetorically, and the answer is no. They can't. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, I'll have an aborted fetus, a Pepsi and fries, please. Will it really get that far? Who knows? I mean, the, they're, they're promoting all kinds of what's a, a sexual intercourse with beasts. And I'm not talking about the other beasts of the field, the races. I'm talking about literal four-legged beasts. 
and aliens, transhumanism. Every perversion under the sun is now being promoted by the perfidious Jew. It's incredible. So, we left off, because it says, it shall be as in the days of Noah, and every perversion possible was recorded in Enoch and Jasher, and only to a certain extent in the Bible, about what was going on in the days of Noah before the flood. So I'll pick up where I left off last week. From the fall of Adam and Eve in the garden, one particular enemy has dogged us unmercifully in order to corrupt our lifestyle and our very genetic makeup. Now it's interesting because the fact is, a simple scientific fact is that there is no such thing as a positive mutation. Even though the evolutionists constantly preach this nonsense, there has never been one positive mutation observed in the history of science. Mutations are always negative. They either result in a gross deformity, infertility, or death. Now, it's totally different uh, when you're talking about adaptation and breeding and breeding uh, new species. That's different. That's intentionally done by the breeder. But even there, uh, let's say, you know, the, the so-called uh, what the, the cross between a lion and a tiger, the so-called liger, that had to be done deliberately at a zoo, to cross the subspecies of cat. Because, as everybody knows, subspecies of animals do not interbreed. They have different habitat, they have different breeding cycles, and typically when one such breed encounters another, there's war, such as, for example, between hyenas and wild dogs. You don't, you don't get breeding going on between these two species. You have to basically blindfold them and put them in a zoo, and a breeder has to create these hybrids. And even then, if the breeder leaves uh, and, and these hybrids are left to themselves, well, the, the, the original species will eventually return, and the hybrids will go away because the original species can survive on their own. (laughs) The domesticated dog? Forget about it. A wolf. A wolf comes along against a domesticated dog, although maybe some pit bulls. (laughs) Maybe some pit bulls uh, may survive. But uh, the breed breed created by the breeder will die out unless the breeder sticks around to continue breeding the breed. That's how it works. And so this is a form of adaptation created by a breeder. But nevertheless, all these breeds are still dogs. They don't evolve into some higher, what would be a higher species of four-legged animal than a dog? I don't know. (laughs) The, the fox is considered to be the most intelligent dog, right? Uh, uh, the, uh, and the domesticated breed, the German Shepherd, which is very much still like a wolf, looks like a wolf, 
but has been domesticated. That That's one of the most intelligent dogs. But uh, you have to go to two-legged species to get anything more intelligent. And, of course, Genesis 3.1 says that there was no species more cunning than Nachash. Then Nachash, and that was a two-legged beast, uh, which probably put on a lot of perfume, uh, put on a, a uniform of a dashing soldier, <laughs> and seduced Eve. Shapeshifters. Now, whether or not they can actually shapeshift without, you know, breeding, uh, breeding with something, and creating a hybrid is a good question, but nevertheless, Eve could have been fooled. She had stars in her eyes. There's, there's all kinds of ways in which the, uh, the seducer can, well, for lack of a better word, stigmatize the seducee, the victim. And uh, apparently he had plenty of time to work on Eve while Adam was gone. So let's continue. From the fall of Adam and Eve in the garden, one particular enemy has dogged us unmercifully in order to corrupt our lifestyle and our very genetic makeup. This race mixer entered the garden and seduced Eve. This race mixer was present on this earth before Adam. And there's all kinds of, you know, the trend. If you go on YouTube and just uh, click on, uh, type in the subject, uh, Ancient Civilizations. And you'll see all kinds of evidence of very high levels of civilization thousands and thousands and thousands of years ago. And this this happened well before Adam and Eve were in the garden, you know, what is it now, 7,000 years ago, six to 7,000 years ago. And the Bible talks about the recreation, the replenishment, replenishment, not plenishment, the replenishment of the earth after this great catastrophe. So they were here before, these fallen ones. They're known as as the titans in Greek literature. Giants. And there's various names for them. As Doc Waterman and I discussed last night, we have the Rephaim, we have the Anakim, the Anunnaki, Nachash, the Naga of uh, the the Indian literature, etc., etc., and they come in all sizes from the giants down to the little people, the uh, pixies, as they were known, the, the cave dwellers, pixie people. So there were, there were all kinds of them, and uh, obviously the fallen ones were hybridizing or breeding these species in order to attack us and do, and in many cases, uh, I believe that they hybridized blacks in Africa to mine gold. They hybridized little ones like the pygmies to crawl into the into the caves and start digging them out. And then uh, they, they hybridized the Zulu and strong ones to carry the, to carry the stuff out and to wherever they needed to, to take it. So, uh, but it's apparent that they had used, they had the ability to levitate things because there was no need for the wheel. 
That's why we have no evidence, although the catastrophe that occurred before the recreation in Genesis chapter 1 was so devastating that virtually all life was wiped out and a cloud of ash that uh, floated over the earth was so vast that uh, hardly any agriculture could have been done. But there's evidence that in the highlands of Peru, for example, there, there was terraced agriculture going on above the level of the clouds. So if you've ever been really high up and you look down, <laughs> look down at the clouds, the, the, these uh, cultivations were done above the clouds in the summertime. The closer to the equator you are, the, the warmer it would be in these higher elevations. You could actually have limited agriculture at these higher elevations. So all the evidence shows that there were high levels of civilization before Adam and Eve were placed in the garden, before the recreation of Genesis 1. And we'll get into that in greater detail later on because we'll take the language of Genesis chapter 1 totally apart and demonstrate that we're talking about a recreation and a replenishment. This was not the first time that Yahweh has had to, how should we put this, seed the earth with new species. Okay, so let's continue. In Hebrew, he was known as Nahash, the whisperer, and it's cognate with the uh, Sanskrit Naga, which uh, they use the word Naga to refer to the fallen ones, to to these angels who had assumed human shape. These Naga, the whisperer, a name implying secret seductions like illicit sex and illegal drug deals and of course, you know, making potions to uh, break down the will of the victim of the seduction. He was the tempter of Eve and is still our tempter today. But the Judeo-Christian corruption of the Hebrew scriptures has ensured that we remain in our fallen state. And it's amazing, if it weren't for Christian civilization, created by us, the Caucasian Israelites, this this earth would have never escaped from the original seduction and perversion by the fallen ones that even before Adam. He, Nahash, got us to adulterate our seed, and as a result, we live in constant misery. Yes, and wherever we see white people adulterating their own seed, we see nothing but misery. In not-too-distant times, his children were known as the perfidious Jews. Do you remember those days? The perfidious Jew. In the last 6,000 years, his methods of corrupting us have not changed at all. His purpose has always been to destroy the doctrine of separateness, apartheid, which Yahweh has instituted for our benefit and the world's benefit. But we are dealing with a very sly, sophisticated enemy who fully understands that our success is his downfall. Okay? That's why the Kenites, the descendants of Cain, hate us so passionately. This is why the Edomites, who are the continuation of that fallen angel seed line, hate us so unmercifully. Just as a biological parasite thrives on its host, the Jew has always thrived on the Saxons or 
Caucasian culture. His method against us has always been to keep us in a state of disease-ridden confusion, both literal disease and mental disease, (laughs) and, of course, moral confusion as well. The enmity is an attempt at providing a concise history of the nearly eternal conflict between these two seed lines. And it's not exactly eternal because Lucifer was a bright and intelligent angel before he turned against Yahweh and became evil. So there was a time before the rebellion of Lucifer and his lieutenants, the angels, 200 of them are named in the book of Enoch. I don't know if they're all named, but the the leaders, uh, 20 of them, the leaders of groups are named in the book of Enoch, and maybe we can turn to those pages next week to get the names of them. But the commandment that Israel should remain separate from the other ethnic groups is stated repeatedly throughout all of Scripture. The fact that most white Christians are unaware of this teaching is due to the fact that they don't read their own Bibles and they have Judeo-Christian ministers. They have allowed the heretical priesthood of Judeo-Christianity to tell them what the Bible says. So the vast majority of Christians have no idea what the Bible really teaches on this and many other subjects. These priests are Christian Pharisees who choose verses that fit their theology and reject verses that don't. Scientists do the same thing with facts and theories. Therefore, we have Judeo-Christianity on the one hand and evolutionism on the other, neither one of which is in any way, shape, or form true. Neither one. Uh, Bavaria fellow asks about the Neanderthals. Yes, Jews claim... (laughs) Jews claim... Oh, certain Jews anyway, not all Jews. Certain Jewish authors claim that uh, Jews have Neanderthal blood, and that's certainly possible. So, and, and uh, uh, you'll have to scroll down to uh, the center of section one where we're talking about, yeah, it's the introduction in the article at uh, part one, the two bloodlines on Anglo-Saxon Israel. So, uh, or you can search for the term Christian Pharisees, because unfortunately the there is no pagination on the uh, websites. I don't know how to do that. So, from the fall of the Garden of Adam and Eve, in uh, is where I started reading from this morning. But here is what the Bible teaches. Quote. And all they that separated themselves from the people of the lands unto the law of God. Okay, so separating ourselves, our our genome, from the people who were in the land. And if you recall, because I'm quoting from Nehemiah 10, 28 through 30. The Assyrians had placed all kinds of non-Israelite, maybe there were some whites in there too, but because not all the people in the Middle East were hybrids, such as the Edomites and Canaanites. But uh, the Babylonians certainly had those. That's where you get the Sepharvaim from, the Sepharvaim. 
Sephar was a suburb of Babylon, and that's where the Babylonian Talmud was composed by the Sepharvaim. That's where we get Sephardic Jews from. And the Assyrians had taken people from all around the Middle East and uh, plunked them in the vicinity of Jerusalem after the Babylonians had taken the the Judahites and the Levites and the Benjaminites that lived there to Babylon, Babylon for the Babylonian captivity for a period of 70 years. After they got back, and it was only like 72,000, if I remember the number correctly, <clears throat> who came back from Babylon, they reestablished Yahweh's laws. And this is the context of Nehemiah 10, 30. So let me start over here. And all they that separated themselves from the people of the lands unto the law of God, their wives, their sons, and their daughters, everyone having knowledge and having understanding, they clave to their brethren... Okay, they rejected intermarriage with these other people. And we would not give our daughters unto the people of the land, nor take their daughters for our sons, unquote. Nehemiah 10.28, Nehemiah chapter 10, is all about cleaning the house of the hybrids. I know that some who are reading this will get a queasy feeling in their stomachs. It's that knee-jerk, beast-promoted reaction to the word race that is making your stomach queasy. Oh, no. Oh, no. Yeah, well, they can use the word Nazi. <laughs> There's a four-letter word for you. You're, we're all Nazis because we talk about race. But we absolutely must come to grips with the fact that our race has been targeted for enslavement, by a self-chosen minority. You could call them the immoral minority as opposed to the moral majority. If we do not, then we are doomed to annihilation as a species. Note that your typical fundamentalist preacher will never quote the above passage or the hundreds of others that declare our separateness, separateness and exclusivity. Quote Matthew 10.16 be ye therefore wise as serpents, yet gentle as doves. You have to be wise as a serpent to understand the serpent. Know your enemy. But we must always avoid doing what they do. And we must avoid being tempted by their temptations of hybridization, drug addiction, you name it. The, the tempter, the great tempter on this planet is the perfidious Jew with their pornography, their sex clubs, their, uh, their Freemasonry, their homosexuality. They're always tempting us with everything that's perverted. Everything that's perverted. There's not one good thing a Jew has ever done in this world. Although you have the occasional Jew who has exposed other Jews, who's exposed the Rothschilds and the Freemasons, etc., etc., but precious few of those. Precious few. 
more precious than rubies, <laughs> all right, more rare than rubies. And uh, they, they wind up getting murdered by the Jews when, if they don't shut up, okay? Well, have you ever wondered why any attempts by whites at self-preservation are always referred to as racism or anti-Semitism? The fact is that white people just want to be left alone so as to pursue our destiny. But the Jews won't leave us alone. Parasites never leave the host alone. Like a pestilence, they have followed us wherever we have gone. Deep within their genetic makeup, they know that they cannot survive without us because they're a hybrid species with dead blood. If they mate purely among themselves, their species will die, will die out because their blood is dead. They need to have constant transfusions or infusions of living blood from other species so that their demon-possessed bodies can continue to exist. And this is probably why the Jews don't believe in the afterlife, because there is no afterlife for them. (laughs) There is no heaven. There's only nothingness, period, nothingness. After the period where they get barbecued, when the tares are burned, This is the intense love-hate relationship that every parasite has towards its host. Despite Jewish accusations against us, we are not to confuse separateness with supremacism. Yahweh did not put us here to lord it over the other races just to take dominion and have a, a prosperous, safe planet. That's what we were here for. That's what he put Adam and Eve here for. But uh, very soon after he plunked them in the Garden of Eden, the, uh, the seduction of Eve happened, and Adam simply did not know what to do. And, you know, the entire race fell into, well, the Catholics call it original sin, into sinfulness. And we lost our immortal uh, potential immortality which depended upon us keeping Yahweh's laws of racial segregation. And we did not do that. Nevertheless, the purity of the race was not affected. It was just our mentality, our spirit was affected, making us subject to temptation of the Jews. Yahweh did not put us here to lord it over the other races. They were already here before we arrived. Our mission is one of restoration, Our mission is to exemplify Yahweh's lawful system of justice here on earth. And there's no way we can teach the other races because they don't have the spirit to apply Yahweh's laws in their own cultures. It will be imposed upon them because what does the Bible say? When he returns, he will rule with with an iron rod. His laws will be enforced so that things will never get out of hand again. Remember the prime directive of the Starship Enterprise? It was not to interfere in the natural development of other worlds. Our mission is not to lord it over the other races according to our own will, is what I'm trying to say here. Our mission is to cleanse the planet of the parasite that infected it long before we arrived, so as to restore it to its natural state. Remember the last words of Genesis 1 were... It was good. 
It was good. All the species that Yahweh had created, in fact, it was very good. But lurking in the background was this Nahash critter. And every, every culture on the face of the earth, including the American Indians, and everywhere you go, they have legends, stories of giants that they had to make war with. So these giants were everywhere, not just in the Middle East. They were everywhere. Our problem is that we, the rescue team, have ourselves become infected. Okay? The away team from the Starship Enterprise got sick and couldn't get back onto the spaceship. In fact, they couldn't bring them back onto the spaceship because they would infect the entire crew of the spaceship. That's why Yahweh put those four angels around the garden, the spiritual garden, so that we couldn't go back up there to infect heaven. Otherwise, heaven might get infected. So, introduction, part one, the two bloodlines. As a proud member of the Christian identity movement, I have to say that our movement has been has been produced by many great scholars such as Howard B. Rand, Bertrand Compare, Sheldon Emery, Reginald Dunlop, W.G. Findlay, Dr. Wesley Swift, William Gale, E. Raymond Capt, and many others who have provided us with great service. This service consists of two, in two main areas. Biblical revisionism, in other words, getting the record straight, interpreting the Bible correctly, and historical revisionism, that is exposing the Jew for what it is, because the Jews have attempted to, uh, to rewrite history to make themselves the good guys and us the bad guys. So switching the hats, as it were. As such, Christian identity is the ultimate revisionist movement as it strives to understand our origins and purpose as a people, starting with the book of Genesis. In addition, these scholars and their contemporary counterparts have delved into the natural history of this planet in an attempt to resolve the apparent contradictions between the scriptural record and the scientific record. Here, a categorical claim must be made. This is a claim which sets Christian identity apart from the, both the Orthodox Christian world and apart from mainstream science. And that claim is this. The Bible does not contradict natural science. Now, I said natural science, which means real science, not evolutionism. In spite of the popular, or materialism for that matter, because most science is based on the scientific method and that that is a very good method for materialism but quantum mechanics has shown that this the cause of all phenomena comes from a transcendent source uh, from another plane a higher dimension they the, in quantum mechanics, they've even postulated many higher planes <laughs> multiple universes is the term they use because you cannot explain the origin of matter from this plane. You have to go to a higher plane to explain the origin of matter and energy. Science can't do it. They're stuck. In fact, many quantum mechanics physicists have stated that you know, we're at a dead end. We can't go any further with the techniques we use. We have to do something else. 
but the vast majority of science scientists are materialists and they will not even contemplate that the true cause comes from a higher plane. In spite of the popular perception that biblical history and natural history do not agree, nothing could be further from the truth. The situation is precisely this, that modern fundamentalism is sorely lacking in historical and scientific knowledge or interest, and that the modern science and modern science has been bogged down with a completely unscientific theory, namely the theory of evolution. There is no way that these two false worldviews can be reconciled. One is anti-scientific and the other is phony science. Both worldviews suffer from extremely skewed interpretations of their own subject matter. Natural selection is the next heading. Why is the theory of evolution unscientific? As a former student in the chemistry curriculum at the University of Illinois, I understood exactly what a scientific theory consists of. A scientific theory must be based on observable facts, and it must be testable. Remember that, folks. It must be based on observable facts, and it must be testable. To be testable means that some scientists must be able to test a particular theory with a reproducible experiment. Okay, so, yeah, oh, for joy, for joy, my experiment worked. And then you try it a second time, and it doesn't work. Wait a minute, it worked the first time, why won't it work the second time? Well, you must have done something wrong. Go back, start over. Start with, uh, if you still want to believe in your theory, start over and devise another experiment. But what happens in most cases is when other scientists try to reproduce your experiment, it doesn't work. It just doesn't work. So that, And this is how the, the scientific community reinforces a, you know, a good theory. If the theory is any good, then other scientists will be able to reproduce the experiment in their own laboratories. But this is an extremely rare, <laughs> a rare event. Okay, so it's, uh, this is why pro uh, scientific progress is so slow, taking literally generations. Okay, and, uh, and scientists are, how should I, uh, egotistical beings as well. And if one scientist is threatened by another theory, he, you know, he doesn't want to reproduce that experiment. He wants his own theory to last forever. So, so there's all kinds of competition and egotism among scientists. So don't, don't for one second imagine that all scientists are humble people whose only aim is to find the absolute truth. I'm sorry, folks. That's the ideal. And very few scientists, especially the Jewish scientists who use science as a means of manipulating people, and that's the business of science is manipulating people, of creating bombs, you know, creating diseases that nobody can find a cure for. You know, this is what scientists do today. Is, is that good? Is that moral? Is that idealistic? No. They have to survive from paycheck to paycheck, just like the rest of us. And very little that comes out of the scientific community these days 
can be considered moral. Anyone with suitable equipment should be able to test the theory by reproducing the experiment. The theory of evolution fails on both counts. First, it is not a theory in the sense that it explains any natural phenomena. Well, it's a very broad speculation by Darwin that species can mutate into higher species. That's a speculation. A theory must be based on physical evidence. And there's no physical evidence that one species has ever uh, gone to a higher level from the original. First, it is not a, a theory in the sense that it explains any natural phenomena. Natural selection appears to explain the physical events, but the reality is that the phrase survival of the fittest is not specific enough to qualify as a scientific hypothesis. So it's not even a hypothesis, let alone a theory. A theory is something that has many experiments to back it up. It, it may still have holes. There may still be holes in the theory, but there are a number of reproducible experiments in the theory that many scientists have been able to reproduce. But this is not the case with evolution. Hence, I refer to evolution as a fable. It is, in essence, generalized guesswork usually with a hidden political agenda, namely secular humanism. Second, it is not testable because it is too vague. Now, the only way to really test the theory is to demonstrate genetically that a mutation, a genetic mutation, will result in a higher form of being. Folks, this has never been done. It's never been done. Continuing. After finding the chemistry curriculum too difficult, I must admit, or maybe the, maybe the Jew doctored my, my test tube results, I moved on to the philosophy department where I specialized in formal logic, having spent three semesters in graduate school studying the derivation of formal logic systems and the derivation of mathematics from basic logical propositions, axioms they're called. A basic part of this curriculum is the study of axioms and syllogisms. Axioms are the most fundamental of all logical propositions, such as the definition of the number one. One this, you know, one apple, one tree, one grapefruit, etc. It may seem obvious to everyone that what the number one means, but for both philosophical and scientific analysis, Specialists must have a working definition of numbers so that there is no confusion down the line. In other words, said one, one apple plus one other apple must mean two apples and nothing else, okay? But even there, there's philosophical problems because no two apples are alike. No two sausages are alike. No two grapefruit are alike. So even there... The meaning of the number one is somewhat hazy, philosophically speaking. It is hazy. Nevertheless, you, do, you can't have mathematics without precise definitions. In other words, the number one means one particular item of what would have to be a genus, uh, a, 
a particle or item that has a very a close, tight definition of its own, such as a ball. Now, we can produce balls in a factory that are virtually identical, but in nature, nothing is identical. There, there's always deviations from one item to another, even if pr produced by the same machine. So you never get a total identity between one ball and the next. You get close, but you never get absolute identity between ball number one and ball number two. Nevertheless, you know, this is the principle of mathematics that underlying assumption is that the, the things that you're counting are all identical. And there's so little variation that you can ignore the variation. So number one, it may seem obvious to everyone that the number one, what the number one means. But for both philosophical and scientific analysis, specialists must have a working definition of numbers so that there is no confusion down the line. The question, quote, does one plus one really equal two, is a very serious question. And this is the kind of question that the study of axioms deals with. Now, in, in quantum mechanics, this doesn't work anymore. Because why? Because what atoms were assumed to be identical particles that when you lump them together, they form, um, well, they form molecules, you know, such, such as H2O, water. But these atoms, it turns out, in the quantum world, because you're digging down deeper and deeper and deeper, into the levels of reality that these atoms fade away into pure energy and they don't have the shape of a ball <laughs> they don't they're not round at all they can be oblong they can be amorphous which means they have no specific shape so the identity of one pl atom plus one atom breaks down you have you really any attempt to visualize an atom from our perspective, from the scientific perspective, ex uh, breaks down. It totally breaks down. And so this is why physicists who specialize in quantum mechanics say, you know, it, does, it doesn't work. It's not, it's not Newtonian mechanics. It's not Newtonian physics. It's a completely different animal when you're, you're talking about how these particles come into being. What do they form out of? Well, they say pure energy, yeah, well, but uh, what's pure energy? They don't know where it comes from. They don't know how these, uh, they can't even define this. So one cue ball, now, now let's get to something really specific. Yeah, like the cue ball, uh, pool cues, uh, balls on the pool table. Now, these are manufactured to very precise measurements because they have to be perfectly round, right? If you have an oblong cue ball, you won't know what to, what to do with it. How can you make a decent shot with an oblong cue ball? So this is about as fine as it gets in creating spheres in the manufacturing you know, process. But when you dig down to the level of quantum mechanics, every cue ball, every ball, every pool ball is different. Weighs, they don't weigh exactly the same. And you cannot manufacture them to weigh exactly the same.
So every ball on that pool table is slightly different from every other ball. And a lot of people don't realize that the cue ball is actually slightly bigger than the rest. I don't know why they do that, but they do. So does the question 1 plus 1 equal 2, or the statement is, does that really make total sense? Well, we have to assume that uh, all the numbers, all the items we're dealing with are virtually identical. And in the real world, there is no such thing as virtual identity between one grapefruit and another, one apple and another, even of the same uh, species of apple. Okay, that's, that's the problem of axiomatic logic. Syllogisms are a part of deductive and inductive. You know, lo- deductive is logical. I mean, you've got a logical, and mathematics is a logical system. Deductive logic, you know, uh, multiplication, one times one equals one, one times two equals two, etc. And inductive reasoning, scientific reasoning, which is based on observing the world and observing the relationship between cause and effect. So you hit the cue ball, the cue ball hits the eight ball, and the eight ball goes into the wrong pocket and you lose, okay? That's inductive reasoning. A basic syllogism would be the following. A, all Israelites are Shemites. Now, it does not say all Jews are Shemites. <laughs> in fact, for anybody listening to this for the first time, Jews are not Shemites. Okay. Yeah, a spoiler alert says nuclear particles, neutrons and protons, are composed of quarks, we are told. So what's a quark? Well, they have to identify, they have to invent another particle to explain what a quark is, <laughs> right? And on and on and on it goes. See, that the whole, the whole explanation process of materialism demands that a smaller particle be found to explain the larger particle. But because... When, when they go, they really dig deep, they find that the Heisenberg principle of uncertainty emerges, which states that if you want to find out where, where the particle is at and you, you shine a light on it, the light causes the particle to move, <laughs> right? So, in other words, the photon that you're trying to take a picture of gets blown away by the picture that you're taking of it. So you can never identify the the position and the direction that the photon is traveling at the same time. You can only get one or the other. In other words, you only get half the information that you want at the quantum level. This is a real dilemma for physics. A real dilemma. It's telling us that you can't solve the problem of what is matter and what is energy by merely physical analysis. You have to go to a higher level. You have to start analyzing consciousness. Yeah, right. And Bavaria fellow says, they give names like charm <laughs> to these uh, forces, particles. What are they? Quarks, charm. So uh, <laughs> a spoiler <laughs> Spoiler alert says, pretty sure it's turtles at the bottom of reality. Well, the whole world is being carried on the back of a turtle, don't you know? 
Okay, so all of this speculation by scientists, all the, this great hope, this great dream that science by itself would solve all the mysteries of nature has been, we call it a pipe dream. It's an illusion. It doesn't work. Despite all of the hope and promises of the scientific establishment, in fact, many quantum physicists have admitted it is a lost cause. Cannot be done the way they're doing it. You have to change the method. Yeah, it's it works for, you know, if your car crashes into another car, you have to call the insurance company, right? And the sun rises in the morning and things light up. Yeah, that's really obvious stuff on the macroscopic level, the higher level, but at the microscopic level, and even further down at the quantum level, things are not so straightforward. And particles magically appear out of virtual nothingness. And even, you know, remember the atoms were supposed to be hard little objects? Now even science tells us uh, an atom is 99.99% empty space. So what kind of a particle is that? You see, folks, how illusory the materialistic method is? Let's get back to syllogisms. Syllogisms are part of deductive, logical, and inductive reasoning. A basic syllogism would be the following. A, all Israelites are Shemites, which is true. There are other Shemites besides Israelites. So the Shemite is a bigger uh, category than Israelites. B, I am an Israelite, therefore I am a Shemite. Okay, this is basic logical reasoning. So it's it's um, also called set theory, where you have you know larger and smaller categories of individuals. So all Israelites are part of the Shemitic category but not all Shemites are part of the Israelite category. There's Shemites who are not Israelites. So it's just keeping making very strict logical differences and keeping those differences set in your language and in your numbering, in your, in your quantification. And most of the problems of historians and logicians and especially religious people, is they do not keep their categories distinct. They fudge the categories, like including Jews among Israelites. Now that's really fudging the category. And having learned these methods of uh, deductive and inductive reasoning, in my writing I'm very, very precise as to use the correct definitions and to keep the categories distinct from one another. Once you start you know, fudging the categories, then there's no way you can make sense of anything. A corollary to this syllogism is the proposition that all Israelites are Shemites. But that not all Shemites are Israelites. Okay, so that's logical, because Shemites are a larger category, which includes Israelites but it includes Arameans as well. And uh, the Assyrians were Shemites. Abraham was a Shemite. 
the uh, I'm trying to think uh, of uh, Moses' father-in-law. I can't think of his name right now. Um, he was a Shemite. So there are lots of other Shemites in the Bible besides the Israelites. Okay. So the essence of logical reasoning is precise definitions, but you also have to stick to those definitions when you write about it and, and presume to teach Scripture. If you're not keeping these categories separate and distinct, then uh, any, any possible conclusion will follow, such as Palestine belongs to the Jews. No, it doesn't because they're not Israelites. Wars have been fought over misunderstandings caused by imprecise definitions. That's a funny statement, but it's true. Within our own movement, serious debates have turned to anger because words such as Jew and Gentile have different meanings to different people. And the result is that we still are still living in the world of Babylon, which means confusion. We have to agree on the basic definitions of the words we use. And if we don't, it's nothing but confusion. The theory of evolution, as it is presented to the public by its adherents, is deliberately misleading for several reasons. From the perspective of formal logic, it is unscientific because it does not state a testable proposition. In reality, quote, survival of the fittest, unquote, although it sounds like a reasonable proposition, is not a testable proposition. This proposition is what the logicians call a tautology. A tautology is a proposition which is true by definition, not by physical evidence. Okay? So, logically, the most fit species will always survive. The only way you can find out... <laughs> Which which species will survive is after the fact. You can't predict which species is the, the most fit. Scientists have no way of predicting which species is the most fit. Anything can happen. Sometimes the most fit species are the ones that die. So this statement, survival of the fittest, although it sounds like a proposition, Relating to reality, relating to the physical world, it isn't. It's, it is a tautology. It simply says, well, w w whatever species survived was the fittest. <laughs> you can only d demonstrate this after the fact, so it's not a scientifically testable proposition. Science is in the business of making predictions of what will happen, and the fable of evolution has never predicted anything has never predicted anything. So therefore, it's not scientific. The most basic form of a tautology is A equals A, or 1 equals 1. A being a proposition such as, there is life, <laughs> or there is intelligence on planet Earth. Let's say that's, that's the proposition. Well, some people would say, that's, that's not true. <laughs> there, there is no intelligent life on this planet. But basically, A equals A, or 1 equals 1. That's simply a continuation of the axiom of mathematics, that 1 plus 1 equals 2. 
Natural selection or survival of the fittest is in reality a disguised form of tautology. Doris Day once had a hit song called Que Sera Sera. It means whatever will be, will be. There's no way that Doris Day could predict what will be. <laughs> Only after it fa finally happened would she know what will be. Because by that time, it's what was. It's what happened. This is no different from survival of the fittest. They're both tautologies. Is this a scientific statement? No, it isn't. And neither is survival of the fittest. Although survival of the fittest appears to be saying something about the real world, it is in fact merely making the logical deduction that the fittest animals will survive. Now, it's very interesting. I recently came across a website, that, and the question on the website was, why don't cockroaches get killed in microwaves? <laughs> I thought that was the funniest question. I didn't bother to check it out, whether or not uh, microwaves will kill cockroaches. But the reason for the question was to suggest that, yeah, cockroaches are the most likely <laughs> most likely species to survive the nuclear holocaust that everybody's expecting. And that's quite true because, you know, they're, they're so far beneath, the, you know. But even there, has nuclear radiation created a viable higher species? The answer is a very obvious no because mutations don't survive. There's never been an example of any scientist creating mutation despite thousands and thousands and thousands of experiments with fruit flies, for example, to create a higher species. Has yet to happen, folks. Has yet to happen. So, in the real world, this whole proposition, the survival of the fittest, is simply stating that, well, one of these species has to survive, <laughs> right? And we'll just call that one the fittest. Is this science? Hardly, folks. It's not science. It's a tautology. What does the word fit mean? Many will say the biggest and the strongest. But the dinosaurs were the biggest and the strongest at one time. That didn't help them survive. Others will say intelligence is the key. But mankind is the most intelligent, or so we assume, and we are destroying our own environment, killing each other, aborting our own children. Is this ensuring the survival of our species? I don't think so, folks. Uh, and even here I mentioned cockroaches. Cockroaches get my vote for survivability, but even their existence is not guaranteed. Do you see how silly the phrase survival of the fittest really is? It says nothing more than what will be, will be. Yet we have all of these people who totally believe that the fable of evolution is scientific from the get-go. No, it's not. Swamp Fox says, Scientists cannot understand reality any more than a single-cell amoeba in a drop of pond water, pond scum, can understand you looking at it in a microscope. Very good. Yes, they've invented a lot of stuff and blown up a lot of cities, 
and are nuking us as we speak. But have they understood reality? Nope. Nope. And Bavaria fellow says the charm, <laughs> strange, quark, strangeness, and charm is just nothing but horrors. It's a house of horrors. Thank you very much, Bavaria fellow. What good have they done? Yeah, well, but it was inventors, not scientists, who created the washing machine. Yeah, scientists did create the, uh, uh, what do you call it, uh, on your countertop, uh, your microwave oven. But that emits radiation that's very, very harmful. So does your cell phone emit radiation. So does your Wi-Fi emit harmful, harmful radiation. And 5G is going to be the worst yet. So if these scientists main, mean to make life worth living, <laughs> uh, ain't happening anymore. All those inventions were done by inventors, not necessarily by scientists. Okay, the airplane used scientific principles, but the invention was done by inventors who did not have a degree from a college, a science or a degree in physics. Okay, so the real inventing, the stuff that makes life worth living and makes uh, pain go away is, be, is being done by mainly guys tinkering around in their garages, <laughs> not by physicists. It's the physicists and chemists and uh, the medicos that are making life miserable for us with all their drugs and uh, paraphernalia. Yeah, Israel will not allow 5G to be used in their country, right? Because they know how dangerous it is. But they're giving it to us free, right? Free. Beware of free stuff, folks. Beware of free. Okay, nothing is free. Absolutely nothing except the consciousness the Father has given you to know who you are and to ultimately know that you are one of his children. Okay, continuing. Neither Darwin nor any other evolutionist has ever proposed any experiment which would demonstrate how the genes of a particular species would be affected by natural events in order to produce a new species. They tried with fruit flies. They've tried gene grafting, but gene grafting is taking existing genes from one species, grafting them onto another species, and what do you get? You get a chimera. There is no natural way by which a mutation will create a new species. It has never happened. It has never been observed to happen. And any attempt to overcome natural, well, what am I trying to say? Natural recombining of DNA, which happens, you know, in your, uh, in the womb, in the womb of a woman, not in the, uh, in the guts of a man. No scientist has ever been able to figure that out without tinkering with the product. Naturally, it does not happen. And in, uh, in nature, nature, let's put it this way. Nature abhors a hybrid. Uh, the occasional hybrid that happens in nature is 
typically infertile. Typically infertile. Or very sick cannot, and uh, cannot survive even to the point where it becomes uh, sexually viable. This is typical of a mutation that actually survives. So, bottom line, take this as scientific fact. No such thing as a viable mutation has ever happened in nature. It always involves a breeder who comes along and starts tinkering with the species, such as fallen angels, such as Nahash, and they can tinker with our species by forcing us to have sex with non-white species, or they can start tinkering with our genes to produce chimeras, But there is no natural way for this to happen because DNA is designed, folks, let me, here's another law. DNA is designed to replicate itself. Genesis 1 verse 11, that all species have their seed within themselves and reproduce kind after kind. This is a law of physics, folks, stated by Yahweh. This is how I designed it, and this is the way it is. Evolution be damned. The natural record shows very clearly that all species are capable of adaptation to physical circumstances, but not once in history has one species ever mutated into an entirely different species, higher or lower. This has never happened. Let me repeat. This has never happened. Evolutionism is a religion, folks. It's a faith. It's a blind faith. No experiment has ever demonstrated its possibility. And the study of genetics shows us that genes are programmed to reproduce in a certain way and in in no other way exactly as Yahweh told us in Genesis 1.11. After its own kind is how the Bible puts it. Until the day that an evolutionist proposes such an experiment and actually carries it out, proving the hypothesis, the quote-unquote theory of evolution must be relegated to its proper place, the dung heap. Adaptation is one thing, evolution is quite another. Now, since the scientific method demands that you have experimental evidence of the theory, you have to have at least one successful experiment to prove that a positive mutation can occur in order to even suggest it being a viable theory. Since no such experiment has ever been performed, despite the thousands and thousands and thousands of experiments on fruit flies, It's nothing but absolute failure. Yet, every school child must believe this fake theory, just as every school child must believe in the Holocaust. Are you getting the picture? Are you getting the picture? Who is the hybridizer? 
Who is the inventor of big lies? We're dealing, ladies and gentlemen, with the fallen ones who are trying to distort our conscious, our consciousness and turn us into materialists because materialists will believe anything. A materialist will believe anything a scientist says. <laughs> and since most materialists don't have scientific lab equipment in their garages or their basements, except maybe those that like to uh, you know, make uh, chemical drugs for their own uh, libation, <laughs> that's, that's your commonplace street corner science, garage science. That's where the level of that it's at these days. So, but no scientist with the most modern and most expensive equipment has ever produced a viable mutation, period. It has never happened because why? Yahweh designed DNA. He designed the DNA of all these different species. No species of wheat has ever produced corn. No species of corn has ever produced oats. No species of oats has ever produced cauliflower. Never happened, folks. It has never happened because these species contain their seed within themselves and they reproduce kind after kind, just as Yahweh told us they would. So, the fable of evolution is an attempt to deny Yahweh's creation. That's what it's all about, folks. Why? Because the fallen ones are in rebellion against his creation and want to defile it. Okay, so given the obvious decline of our civilization, one has to wonder if we are evolving in any sense or whatever. Evolution presupposes a steady advance to higher forms. That's what they teach. But the liberal is an obvious step backwards <laughs> into devolution. Now, seriously, if you compare a Beethoven symphony to today's cacophony of rap and hip-hop, we have been in a state of devolution for the last 200 years. Indeed, every sort of perversion abounds, and they call it good. Is societal decline evolution? Is it progress? Well, progressives are actually communists. Is communism progress? I don't think so, folks. It is simply not enough to say that physical changes in the environment will produce evolutionary changes in our genetic makeup. That's the claim. They claim that it happens. Some scientist has to demonstrate exactly how, you know, it's like, well, we can say, well, uh, an angel told me, <laughs> a, a, little, a little fairy whispered in my ear. That's, evolution is at that level, folks. You can claim a little fairy whispered in your ear. The evolutionists have no better evidence than that. Some scientist has to demonstrate exactly how these genetic damages or changes, and actually damages is the correct word because if the genetic information changes, it's damaged. How these genetic changes are affected. How do they happen? What produces them? They have no idea. For natural selection to be valid, a valid scientific hypothesis 
actual physical, genetic, biochemical experiments must be proposed and carried out in order that the process can be scientifically analyzed. But you can't have gene grafting. That's tampering. Like Frankenstein. That's Frankenstein tampering. Hybridization. That's completely different from nature doing it. To date, not a single scientific experiment has ever shown any sign of verifying the fable of evolution. And that's what it is, a fable. The essence of the evolutionist's argument is this, quote, I predict that one or another species will survive. <laughs> Are you laughing as hard as I am? We're supposed to take this stuff seriously? It's a crime that this nonsense is force-fed to our public school children and Catholic school children, too, probably teach it these days because the Catholic Church has totally kowtowed to the perfidious Jew. This is the state of our world, the intellectual state of our world. When the materialists believe in fables like this and the Judeo-Christians believe in fables like they do, having no understanding of the meanings of the Hebrew words throughout most of the Bible, let alone Genesis, how can these people say anything intelligent about either the Bible or the physical world when they believe these fables, when their assumptions about reality are so false that they can't possibly make a true statement about reality, whether it be the physical world or the biblical world? They're just out to lunch. But there's a hidden agenda behind all this, folks, and only those of us in identity are aware of it, namely the perfidious Jew, Lucifer, and his devils in shoe leather, the Jewish people, are about hybridizing and defiling everything they touch. And they want to defile our minds with these false theories as well, including six-day creationism. So once you understand that there is a defiler, a hybridizer, a parasite at work, and once you understand how parasites work, they confuse the mind, <laughs> not just the body. They make us all sick mentally and physically. You can pin all the world's diseases on all of these physical fables and the poisons they're spewing out into our environment, poisoning the oceans. Pastor Andrew and I talked about how two-thirds of the creatures of the sea will die. That's predicted in the book of Revelation. Why? Well, we're seeing it happen right now with all the poisons and the radiation and the chemtrails, the killing of the plankton. The plankton is the real source of oxygen in our biosphere not just trees. The plankton produces a much greater percentage of oxygen than the trees do, but the plankton are being killed off by chemtrails and by radiation. We're seeing higher species of animals, such as dolphins and whales, and birds falling out of the sky, bleeding from their, their noses and eyes and ears. Why? 
because they're being radiated to death. It's 5G, folks. Lucifer is still in the business of defiling Yahweh's creation. And organized science is in its hands. So is Judeo-Christianity. So is materialism. So is liberalism. And everything that militates against Yahweh's created order. So we in identity are the only ones who really understand what's happening in the world today. And everybody else is deluded by these fables. Fable of evolution. Fable of Judeo-Christianity. The fable that the Jews are Israelites. Go on down the line. The Holocaust, talk about fables. The hoaxacost, I like to call it. So, if you want to survive all of this, and the Bible says there will be a remnant of us who will survive, you have to gird yourself and be prepared to be assaulted every sense of your body, touch, hearing, sight, etc. Yeah, the foul smells of the current world order. You prepare to be nauseated, even worse than you've been nauseated to this point. Because Yahweh is testing our metal. Can you deal with it? Well, you can if you obey his laws. That's his promise. <laughs> Brother Abear says, Lucifer radiationism. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. This is how bad it is. <laughs> the University of Florida Gators produced the quote, love bug, which are two bugs connected at the <laughs> a, a dollar sign, dollar sign. <laughs> Quite the pest in June down there. Oh, yeah, we have all kinds of pestilence bugs going around. And who knows to what extent they have cre- created mut- mutant ninja turtles. <laughs> mutant ninja turtles. But, of course, the typical thing is that unless the species, the DNA was created by Yahweh, it's very unlikely to be fertile. However, you know, we have to give these fallen ones some credit. They were, Lucifer was the highest, the, the brightest angel, had the most light, was therefore the most intelligent being that Yahweh had created. And this intelligence may be enough to t- tinkering, given the ability to tinker with our DNA, DNA, that he might have devised a viable species, a viable hybrid. That is a possibility because we cannot underestimate their intelligence. But certainly no scientist today in the physical world has been able to do so. Frankenstein wasn't able to do so. And when the Bride of Frankenstein looked (laughs) at the Frankenstein monster, she freaked out. (laughs) She freaked out. So all these people are freaking out at the failures, yet there's endless hope and promise, just like Obama. Hope, 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 hope and change. No, they haven't changed anything. It just gets worse. 
You cannot expect anything positive from these creatures who call themselves Jews. Why? Because they have the DNA of the fallen angels in them and they cannot do good. You have an occasional hybrid that only has a few Jewish genes or fallen angel genes and a lot of white genes that try to do good. Maybe Benjamin Friedman was one of those. He was trying to make up for the evil that the Zionists were doing by exposing it. But that appears to be about the best they can do is to expose the evil, to to be able to actually do good, make the world a better place. No Jew has ever been able to do anything of the kind. And yes, spoiler alert, say, not to say that the Bible isn't divinely inspired, but I suspect much of its accuracy is prophecy due, in prophecy is due to the fact that the Jews have caused all of this before long ago. What does the Bible say? Nothing new under the sun. Nothing new under the sun. So they search in vain for new particles. Those particles don't exist. Because quantum mechanics has shown that these particles dissolve into pure energy. Now the problem is, what is energy? Where does it come from? How did it get here? Oh, some accident must have happened. (laughs) It came here by accident. That's That's what chance means. Accident. Do you explain accidents? Well, you have to look at what caused the accident. Even accidents have causes. So by resorting to the argument of chance, you're saying an accident happened. You're believing in a a miracle. You're saying a miracle happened. That dead stuff came to life. That's a miracle. Chance is a miracle. So evolutionists tell us, well, this this miracle happened umpteen billion years ago. Even though we've had extinction events, many extinctions in the process, which means that chance has to get another chance, right? How many chances does chance get before it actually produces something good, worthwhile? You can get infinite number of chances and it won't produce a viable species bottom line folks thanks for listening praise Yahweh pass the ammunition and stay tuned for our further programming and voice Christianism later later today I've spoke with Pastor Martins he will be available for today's show thanks for listening praise Yahweh bye bye be 